We do acknowledge that what we're encountering right now really is rather significant, and it's a rather historic event. And as such, I think I'd like to step away from our study of the book of James this morning. I think that we're going to find there a word of encouragement that I feel is fitting for the occasion today. So as you know, it was around the turn of this new year that Chinese authorities were treating dozens of cases of pneumonia of an unknown cause or an unknown source. And because we enjoy life and such an advanced age of technology where humans have the ability to just travel around the world in a matter of hours, the disease spread very quickly around the world. Did you know that you can actually fly now for 7,800 miles? You can fly directly from Chicago O'Hare to Brisbane, Australia in less than 18 hours. In fact, if you felt so compelled, I found that you could fly directly from Chicago O'Hare directly to Beijing, China in about 13 hours. My understanding is that the flights are pretty reasonably priced right now. I'm told that you can make the round trip for less than $500. Uh, But because of the technology which allows us to do those kinds of things, the truth is that the disease and the infection also have the ability to travel around the world in a very short amount of time. And as a result, here we are now 12 weeks later, and the unknown illness that we now identify as COVID-19 has made its way to over 150 countries and territories around the world, infecting more than 285,000 people. And that statistic as of yesterday, certainly the numbers are even greater today. But not surprisingly, people naturally fear that either they or their loved ones may somehow become exposed to the virus. Fear of the unknown is very common. And add to that wall-to-wall global media coverage highlighting the disease as uniquely threatening, and you take all of those things, and the sum of those things results in panic, anxiety, and a near hysteria. And with those emotions all heightened, people then begin to prepare for the worst, don't they? They begin by buying as many particulate masks and latex gloves as they possibly can, as many as they can get their hands on because they're trying to avoid contact with anyone who they think may have the virus. Next, they snatch up hand sanitizers and disinfectants to clean themselves just in case the vinyl gloves and the particulate masks somehow did not perform their purpose. They purchase toilet paper and they purchase ramen noodles to prepare for extended periods of isolation due to exposures to others. In fact, I was at the grocery store yesterday and the clerk told me that we're now rationing bread. Soon I began hearing rumors of the Army Reserves and the National Guard being activated to prevent looting and possibly even to enforce martial law if necessary. And at that point, in near hysteria, people began to make the rush to gun stores to buy firearms and to buy ammunition so that they can defend themselves against would-be intruders. And as a result of global panic, the stock market tanks. People lose much of their life savings. Manufacturing slows significantly and people are laid off. Restaurants begin to close all over the country and even more jobs are lost. And then the isolationist and survivalist fears begin to kick in. And ultimately, the fear and the anxiety stemming from the virus actually surpasses the rational fear of the virus itself. Think about that for a moment. And I have to confess to you that I also have been caught up in that hysteria to some extent. I mean, right now, to be honest, I'm more afraid of a long-term shortage of, you know, the two-ply quilted northern than I am of the coronavirus. In fact, I think that 
if I could find it, I'd probably buy a couple cases and hide it from my own family. But we look at this, we consider this time in history, and we say, you know, this is really historic, isn't it? This is really historic, and I believe that it truly is. I believe that's true. But we should know that it's hardly unique. You see, all through history, certain events have caused panic to seize the, the world. They've caused panic to seize the minds of rational human beings. Whether it's the collapse of the stock market, whether it's world wars or pandemics, the world has always and will always have a reason to panic. We have always had and we always will have reason to panic. All the worries of this world, whether they're pandemic or economic in nature, they affect individuals and they affect society on many levels, causing all sorts of disruption. Think about that. Panic and stress create anxiety-related behaviors like the inability to sleep and the inability to cope rationally with simple tasks. But for us as believers, I wonder, what should our response be? What should our response be? Maybe you're with us this morning and you wonder that very thing. With all of the worry, with all of the anxiety, with all of the things that are going on, what should my response be in the face of all of this? And I want you to know that the Word of God is very clear about that. The Word of God is very clear in articulating for us how we should react. In fact, I would direct your attention this morning to Matthew chapter 6 where we're going to receive instruction from Christ Himself. And just to set the context for you a little bit, I'll just tell you that we're joining Jesus right now in the middle of what was known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a discourse which begins in Matthew chapter 5 and runs all the way through chapter 7. It's a tremendous portion of Scripture, and I would encourage all of you to sit down as families and to read it together if you could do that. Just read through this portion of Scripture and embrace it together and learn from it together. I would encourage you to do that. But we're going to join Jesus in the final section of chapter 6 where he gives our instruction for today. Now, immediately preceding the passage that we're going to look at for today, Jesus has given instruction with regard to our attitude toward money and material things. Did you know that you can determine a great deal about a man's spiritual well-being by understanding his attitude toward material things? That's true. And Jesus concluded that instruction in verse 24 by saying this, you can't serve two masters. Either you love money or you love God. Either money is your master or God is your master. And now I'm going to take you to verse 25 where he says this, therefore, and if I may insert here, since God is your master, since God is your master, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? Is not the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of those. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, listen, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, those are the people who do not know God, the Gentiles, speaking of unbelievers, for the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He knows that you need them all. But now listen, in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, once again, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I think that if we were to do our best to sum this passage up in just a few words, we could do that by saying, do not worry. Very simply, do not worry. In fact, in this portion of Scripture, we see it three times. So I think that's a great way for us to sum up the message of Jesus Christ here. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's the Greek word Mary Manao. And it means to be anxious, to meditate on, or to be cumbered with. And so what he's saying here is don't allow your minds, do not allow your minds to become weighed down or distracted with this stuff. And I think that's a good way to say it. Don't allow yourselves to become distracted with the cares of this world. But what I find interesting about it is that Jesus commanded us not to worry. And when he does that, his command takes two different forms in the Greek language in this passage. In verse 25, Jesus says, do not worry or do not become distracted. And when he does that, he does it in what we call the present active imperative. And what that means to us is that it gives us a sense of continued or ongoing action. So what he's saying is, as a general rule of life, do not be worrying about earthly things. Do not be worrying. Do not be allowing yourselves to be distracted by the cares of this world. Do not be allowing yourselves to get caught up into the distractions of this world. Friends, I want you to know that's where we are right now, isn't it? Isn't that precisely where we are today? I want you to know that we are not to be worrying ourselves. We are not to be distracted by the cares of this world. We're not to be allowing ourselves to be distracted by all the things that are going on all around us today. That's the first form of the Greek command to not worry. And that's our instruction for today. And I think you can apply that to yourselves today. Do not be worrying about it. Do not be in a state of anxiety. Do not be in a state of distraction. Do not be worrying about it. And now I want to take you and I want to show you the second form. So the imperative in verse 31 and 34 are of the same form, but they are different than what we saw in verse 25. Now, it is the same verb, mary manao, and this time, though, if we were to parse it, we would parse it by saying that it's aorist, active, subjunctive. And what that means is that it gives us a sense of future hypothetical. Stay with me. I know that's a lot of words, but it's important for you to get this. So not only is Jesus telling us that we are not to be distracted by the things that other people in this wor- world are worried worried about right now in the present time. But now he's saying in verses 31 and 34 that we are also not to worry about any hypothetical event that has the potential to pop up in the future. Do you understand? He's saying not only are you not to worry about the things that are going on, but do not allow those to create in your mind some form of hypothetical event that may or may not take place in the future and grasp onto those and worry about those. And I just feel like that is such timely instruction for us right now. 
Jesus is saying, don't become distracted by it. Don't allow yourselves to have all kinds of anxiety over what may come in the future. There's no reason for us, friends, as believers to get all bent out of shape and to be panicked about things that are happening right now and what hypothetical events we perceive may happen in the future. This passage is filled with arguments as to why it's unreasonable for us to worry about what's going on or what the future hypothetical implications may be. But if I may, I would just like to take two of those and share those with you this morning. The first is the argument of productivity. Now stick with me as we go through this. The World Health Organization has acknowledged that the coronavirus situation, the current coronavirus crisis is generating stress and anxiety, and it has advised people to avoid, listen to this, to avoid watching, reading, or listening to news that causes feelings of anxiety or distress. It reports that there has been a sharp incline in emergency room visits due to the panic attacks that are induced by the coronavirus scare. So what do worry and what do anxiety produce? I think that's a pretty fair question, don't you? It produces, listen, it produces panic attacks and it produces emergency room visits. But I believe that Jesus asks the right question in verse 27. Read along with me. It says this, Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? It's important that we understand, friends, that it is God who determines the number of our days. Did you know that? It is God who has established our life's boundaries. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139, 16, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Listen, he's saying the moment I was conceived, God determined the number of days that I would live. The moment I was conceived, God knew exactly how long I was going to live. He has already determined that. And no virus, no war, no human can ever change what God has already determined for me. That's what the psalmist was saying. In chapter 14, Job said that God alone determines the number of man's days and of man's months. God alone determines the length of your life. God alone determines when your life will begin and when your life will end. And you cannot surpass those days. You cannot go beyond those boundaries. Still, we should care for our bodies. Of course, we feed them properly. We take them to the doctors to be checked out from time to time. But listen, we need to understand that the length of your life is in God's hands alone. Do you understand that? The length of your life is in God's hands alone. He has given it to you, and He has given it to be used for His purposes. Make sure you take that with you. He has given it to be used for His purposes, rather. Think about that. The question is not so much how much longer can I make my life. The question is how much more productive can I make my life? You see, nothing that you can do, nothing that the world or any virus can do will shorten your life. God has already determined those days. He's already determined the length of your days. Nothing is going to change that. But you alone are able to determine how well you use that life. You alone are able to determine how well you will use it to accomplish the purposes for which God has designed you. You determine how productive you're going to be with the time you have. 
worry, anxiety, fear, not a single one of those will add a single day to your life. None of those things will do anything to add any time to your life at all. And I just wonder, if you think about it, years down the road as you're preparing to leave this world behind and you're reflecting on your life, I wonder how many of you are going to say to yourselves, oh man, did I ever do a great job panicking and creating anxiety over that virus that happened in 2020? you remember that? Or do you think it's more likely that you're going to say with your eyes closed, God, I wish that I could have done just a little bit more to accomplish your purposes while I was here. You see, you're not going to add a single day to your life. So I ask you, will you capitalize on the number of days that He has already given to you? Will you make them as productive as you possibly can? Will you use them to advance God's purpose? Will you use your days to advance God's kingdom? The second argument is the argument of your provider, and you see that in verse 26. This is where Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? You know, it's always humbling to me as I consider the sovereign care of God. I always think of how undeserving I am of His care and how He cares for even the most minute of all of His creatures. And in this case, Jesus could have used any example He wanted, but in this case, He decided that He would use the bird. But He could have chosen anything. Now think about this for a minute. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that on the fifth day of creation, God created every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and God blessed them by saying this. He says, be fruitful and multiply, and let birds multiply on the earth. Now, most recent count tells us there are nearly 10,000 different species of birds that we're aware of now. And the Bible says that God created every single one of them. God created them all, and then He blessed them. But it's interesting that He didn't at that point just throw His hands up in the air. He didn't just put His hands up in the air and see if they could figure out how to feed themselves, did He? No, He gave them some finely tuned instincts to help them find and feed on insects and seeds and fruits. And then He filled the whole earth with those things so that the birds of all different species would have the ability to go out and to find food and that they might be able to eat. God spoke and thousands of species of birds came into existence and were provided for. But you, you're a little bit different. Did you know that? Because with you, He took His time. He took His time on you and He considered you closely. And then at exactly the right moment in history, at the precise moment, Psalm 139.14 tells us that you were fearfully and wonderfully made at precisely the right time. He knew each of the intricate details of your life, from the numbers of hairs on your head to the total number of your days, from the very moment you were conceived, before you were even born. So I wonder, would he now just throw up his hands after all of that and say to himself, gee, it'll be really interesting to see if Scott can figure out how to get something to eat. I mean, aren't each of you Aren't each of you far more valuable than the birds? Yet he knows every hop of every sparrow that he ever created. So I want to just ask you, let that sink in. How much more do you think he would care for you? Don't worry about your provision. Don't worry about things. Keep your eyes on the provider. 
Don't worry about provision. Keep your eyes on the provider. Friends, we can just relax and we can avoid worry and we can avoid anxiety by knowing that God is going to provide everything we need. Maybe he won't give you every single little thing that you want, but he will provide for you everything that you need. Don't allow it to worry you. Don't allow it to cause you to be distracted, friends. God knows you need ramen noodles. He knows that you need bread. God knows that you need toilet paper. For a Christian to spend so much time worrying about physical, earthly needs, I want you to know it's a mark of a mind that is very worldly. I understand that Christians have earthly needs. I understand that we need food, some of us more than others. I understand that we need clothing. I understand that we need shelter. But listen, when we allow ourselves to become so distracted by those temporary earthly things that our minds become fixed on them, then we will begin to develop earthly worries and anxieties. Do you see? When we allow our minds to be fixated on earthly concerns, then we're going to cause for ourselves earthly worries and anxieties. Friends, listen. Christians have to know that all provision is God's. Christians need to know that all provision is God's and that He is active and that He intervenes to provide for you what you need. You don't have to worry about that. It doesn't mean that you can just go put on your pajamas and go sit on the roof of your house with your legs crossed and your hands up in the air waiting for the apocalypse. But what it means is that God will take care of your needs. He will give you whatever you need to keep you sustained and to give you the ability to keep your eyes on Him. That's the point. We just keep doing whatever He has given us the ability to do. We keep doing whatever we can. We keep our faith in Him. We just keep our trust in Him. Listen, stay engaged. But don't be overrun with fear. Don't be overrun with anxiety. Don't become distracted. Remember who your provider is. Remember who your provider is. Wash your hands. That's great. Use sanitizer from time to time if you have it. That's fine too. But you can't just vacuum pack yourself in a freezer bag for safekeeping until it's all over. Keep your faith in Him. Keep your eyes on your provider. So in conclusion, I want to just share with you the cure for your anxiety. If you, like many people in the world today, feel run down by anxiety and overcome by worries, I want to give you the solution for what worries you. I want to show you how to guard yourself from distraction, and it's found in verse 33. So take a look at verse 33 with me. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well. You see, friend, it's a focus on the things of this world that induces fear and worry and anxiety. But, on the other hand, a focus on things of God, a focus on the things of God and on His kingdom creates peace in your life. The kingdom of God here just refers to all the things of God. So what Jesus is saying is force your thoughts to be predominated by the things of God. Force your mind away from the cares of this world and force your mind to be on the things of God. Force yourself to be predominated with thoughts of godly things. Don't be distracted by earthly cares and worries, but focus on God and He, knowing that you need all of those things, He'll take care of those for you. You don't have to worry about those. So if you're with us this morning, you find yourself in a state of worry or anxiety over the remarkable events of the last few weeks, 
I'm going to give you now some practical tools to help relieve some of your anxiety and to help relieve some of your stress. First, can I just encourage you to not constantly barrage your minds with television news channels, news radio, and other forms of media that are filling your mind with thoughts of how terrible things are? Can I encourage you with that? Change the channel. Refuse to be part of the panic. If you're constantly watching and listening to those things, I want you to know that you're going to live in a state of anxiety. You're going to live in a state of worry. If you can't handle it, be mature enough to turn those things off. Secondly, I'd encourage you to put down the social media. Don't be part of perpetuating conspiracy and worry. If you receive email or some social posts from people who are suggesting things that cause you to worry, put it down and stop feeding the frenzy. Stop feeding on it. Finally, and this is the most important piece, friends, seek the kingdom of God. Seek the kingdom of God and seek His righteousness. Pick up the Word of God and study it deeply. Allow it to have its refining work on you. And when you look into the mirror of Scripture, when you see a flaw in your spiritual character, make a change. Refuse to be distracted. Refuse to look away. But do the Word of God. Do what it says. Allow it to make you grow spiritually. Get engaged with fellow believers in godly Bible studies. Pray for one another and build one another up. Stay involved in the Root River Church community. Spend a little time in prayer. I'd like to extend a challenge to you. You can do what you want with it. But may I challenge you? to spend as much time in the presence of God as you spend on the evening news? May I challenge you to spend as much time with God as you do on social media? Friends, be encouraged to know that God is still sovereignly in control. Soon, and it won't be long, God will allow the same amazing technology which caused the virus to spread so quickly around the world to find a solution to treat the virus and the world can move forward with well-stocked grocery stores to its next source of anxiety, to the next event. But as for you, as for Root River Church, let us move from this trouble into a closer relationship with God in which we more clearly and more accurately reflect His character to the world. That's my challenge to you. Father, I thank You that no matter the source of this world's trouble, we know the One who holds the cure. And I pray, Lord, that You would bring peace where there's now anxiety. I pray that You would bring joy where there's now worry. I ask that You would give our leaders and our nation's leadership wisdom, show our researchers favor as they work hard to develop a solution for this source of worry. Lord, I pray for protection for all of our first responders and for all those who work in the medical field. I pray that you would empower us through the power of your Holy Spirit to keep our eyes fixed on you, to keep our eyes fixed on our protector, to keep our eyes fixed on our provider and upon your kingdom. That's what I ask. I pray, God, that consistent with your word, that will sovereignly provide all of the other things that we need as we commit ourselves to focusing on you. We thank you, God, for your great care and for your protection. In Jesus' name, amen.